last week, some of you were here, I spoke about what a treat it is to watch men Christmas shop. Were some of you here? When I said somewhere out there on Christmas Sunday, there's a woman walking around in a very ugly dress, but purchased with love. It was only an hour after I left church that I opened my cell phone to read a text message. That said, and it wasn't from the woman in the ugly dress. (laughs) That said, men shopping for women, huh? With a question mark. You ought to watch women in a custom auto shop. (laughs) So I thought I'd try that this week. No. (laughs) No, I've been in an auto shop. That doesn't go really well, but point taken. It's fun to watch all of us shop, yes? I'm going to stay out of the stores for a while. Have you had enough? I've had enough. I was reminded when I watched The Grinch how The Grinch stole Christmas this week, which happens to be a very favorite of mine, and I just learned that our daughters never saw it growing up. We deprived them of that somehow. They told us this week. They missed that, but The Grinch has a line in there somewhere where he says, he learns towards the end, Christmas is not found in the stores. Christmas is not found in the stores. We know in this place, Christmas is found in the gospel, don't we? The gospel of Luke chapter 2 will be there again today as we read about the story that you just saw here in front of you, Jesus on the eighth day taken into the temple. We'll begin with verse 21 and we'll read about 20 verses together this morning. I invite you to take a pew Bible there if you've got one since we won't project on the screen today. Eight days, only eight days, since everything in the world changed. Eight days, Mary and Joseph have been feeding and changing and comforting and nourishing this little one. It's been eight days worth of visitors and gifts and people coming to see the newborn king. Eight days of curiosity. And on the eighth day... Luke records in very specific detail, it seems to be important to Luke for us to know that Mary and Joseph carried things out in the fashion they were supposed to. The Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 21, we read about Jesus being presented at the temple on the eighth day. When it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons are to be offered. There is some kind of ritual for every family when a baby is born. And if it's a female baby, the ritual is different. If it's a male baby, it's a specific ritual. If it's a firstborn male infant, this is the ritual. You will take him to be dedicated, a special service of dedication for the firstborn. Didn't always happen in the temple. I believe that it happened in homes early on. You'll take a special offering. It it should be a sheep, really, in a time when most Poor people, most peasants couldn't even get meat to eat. You're to give a sheep as an offering for a firstborn male, unless you can't do that. And then two birds are okay, so Mary and Joseph bring two birds. And on this eighth day, he'll be named, and he'll be circumcised, and he'll be dedicated, and and 
It says the time of purification, their purification is over, which is a little confusing. Mary certainly has to go through a purification process, usually lasts 40 days after the birth of the infant. Some scholars are confused. Why them, their purification? What does Joseph have to be purified of? Is it that he attended the birth and was in contact with the blood? Is it just Luke being extra careful to show us they are all purified? Whatever is happening in the text... These are rituals and traditions and customs that let us know Mary and Joseph are devout and faithful. On the eighth day, they bring Jesus. Continue in verse 25 now. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'll pause. A term we don't usually hear, the comfort of Israel. Another way of saying, waiting for Israel to be comforted. It's another, comforted, another word for Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you are now dismissing your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, Anna She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. The passage can teach us much. It can teach us about ritual and tradition and custom, what people do because of who they belong to. The passage could teach us about parenting, the, the cruel and the, the difficult pain that comes with parenting. A sword will pierce your side. He will cause the rising and falling while we haven't given birth to messiahs. It is a warning. Parenting, this will be painful. Just count on it. The passage could also teach us about praying, for it is that both Simeon and Anna, both of them simply utter praise and thanksgiving to God. Neither of them implore or request or ask for anything. Isn't that interesting? They state what is, both of them, not making a request. The passage could teach us about prayer. The passage could also teach us about what it is to live with the aging ones in our community 
And the longer I live in community, the more grateful I am for those who are older than I, for those who have lived faithfully with conviction, with certainty, with God. What a blessing it is to have in our midst people like Anna 100 years in the temple, praising God and giving thanks, fasting and praying 100 years of a ministry. Could you even imagine? And what a benefit and a blessing that is to a congregation. The passage certainly could teach us about what it is to have the aging ones among us. For today, I'd like to just reflect back on a few of Simeon's words, however. And let the passage teach us a little bit more about peace, a peaceable kingdom that we've been talking about for this month. In particular, at the beginning of Simeon's prayer in verse 29, Simeon says, Now, Lord, you are dismissing your servant in peace. He's saying what's actually happening. I can feel myself now. You could let go of me. I could die now. It could be over now. It's enough. What I've seen with my eyes, just dismiss me in peace. It's over and it's well with me. Simeon's prayer. By the way, a very popular prayer in Christian tradition has a long history. This prayer early on was prayed after the communion table. After people would eat the bread and drink the wine, they would pray, dismiss us now in peace because our eyes have seen on the communion table. We've seen your salvation. Prayer is also prayed at bedtime, traditionally at the laying down of, of the head in the Lutheran prayer book specifically. You've lived all day with God. Your eyes have seen his salvation all day long. So now dismiss me in peace. Let me rest in peace because of what I've seen today. It's a special prayer for me because in Greek class, we were required to memorize this prayer. And so day after day after day, I said this prayer, over and over. Mostly to get an A, but then with great meaning. Dismiss me. You are dismissing me because of what my eyes have seen. I, am, I could just die now, Simeon is saying. And Anna's prayer is almost the same. She takes one look at the child and she says, Ah, the Redeemer of Jerusalem. She announces what she's seen. And I wonder when these two look upon this baby, what are they seeing? What is it that that comes out of them? It's a baby. It's an eight-day-old baby. And they say, oh, our eyes have seen. This is the Savior. We hear the word Savior. The same word as liberator in this original language. Savior, cleansing us from our sins, making us whole and right with God, making us redeemable. Liberator is a little different, isn't it? Someone releasing us, freeing us, changing things on the outside, changing circumstances on the inside also. We've seen the Savior, Liberator, and everything is changed, Simeon and Anna say. What are they seeing? It's a baby who spits up, who soils its linen. What are they seeing? Rome still rules. Herod still sits on the throne. What are they seeing? The shepherds who last week saw this host in the night sky, this angelic host, more angels than they could count. And now where are the shepherds? Eight days later, they're back in the fields tending their sheep. What are Simeon and Anna seeing? They see a baby and they say, dismiss us now in peace. It's okay if we die because our eyes have seen the wonder of your salvation. 
seeing is believing, some people say. Perhaps for Anna and Simeon, it's more as this. They believed and therefore they see. They believe something already because of the beliefs they've been living with for all these years. When they look upon this baby, they see what other people cannot see. Simeon and Anna, some have described this way as symbols of righteous aging. I like that. Symbols of righteous aging. They realize they've been shaped by a story that's yet to be completed. One author describes them as living on tiptoe. If that gives you a visual, living on their tiptoes, expecting renewal, expecting restoration, waiting for salvation and liberation to happen in their lives, in their experience, right in their presence. They're living on tiptoe. They can almost taste it. The Anna prophetess, the prophetess Anna prophetess described this way also as someone who forward claims the future. She, she sees what's happening and she forward claims it now. So she lives on tiptoe claiming this savior liberator. It is something that all of the stories of the month of December have in common. We began with Isaiah, then Mary, and then Zechariah, and then the angels and the shepherds last week. And today we come to Simeon and Anna. What they all have in common, the thread that holds them all together, is that they all live with this same hope and anticipation. They all live expecting the liberator, Savior, will come and it will happen in their lifetimes. It holds them all together. Liberation happens. But Simeon makes it very clear, in case the others we've studied missed anything, Simeon makes it very clear when he says, Ah, my eyes have seen not only what's supposed to bring glory to Israel, but what will redeem and save all the Gentiles. Did you hear it in there? The light unto the Gentiles. Simeon announces very clearly, Salvation is for all people, not just Israel. Not just those of us who have been expecting it. Salvation is really here for all of humanity. And and now he can sleep because he's seen it. Maybe for Simeon and Anna, part of righteous aging means they are able to relax into a pattern of peace that's more difficult for some of the rest of us. We've been talking about what it is to be at peace in our lives, at peace with God, one, whole, complete, in harmony, to be well. Maybe for Simeon Simeon and Anna, this comes easier after living 80 and 100 years with this God. Rather than you and I, with a human reaction, there is a chain reaction. And that is, we react, we get angry, we have anxiety, we fall into this pattern of war. Last week I used the phrase, warring hearts. And I suggested that to be a citizen of this peaceable kingdom that belongs to Jesus means we'll have to go counter-cultural, counter-instinctual, counter-human, really, to what is what, what happens to us when we live in this world, our instinct is to react and to get angry and to make things difficult and, and there's anxiety and hostility and tension and, and that's the human way 
on this world, whether it's little things, whether it's larger things. And last week I suggested we'll have a choice. To be resident citizens of a peaceable kingdom means choice by choice, day after day, little things, larger things, over and over again. I have the opportunity to say, I'd like to lay down my warring heart. I'd like to be a peaceable resident in this kingdom. It is, to a large degree, a choice I can make. Little things, like when Elisa was born, she just she turned 16 in November. But the year she was born, we decided because she was born two weeks into November, we would send Christmas cards and birth announcements all to N1. Thought that was a smart idea. So we ordered 100 birth announcements that looked rather holiday-ish. And Kirby wrote this little poem that said, In this time of Christmas cheer, we are blessed with a baby, dear, a little girl named Elisa Renee, for us to love, for Amanda to play. Yeah, that father is the poet. We sent it away. A hundred of these came back in the mail, embossed, beautiful invitations. We tied the red ribbons on the top and got them ready to mail. And just as we got ready to put them in the mail, I, re- I read again, in this time of Christmas cheer, we are blessed with a baby, dear D-E-E-R. <laughs> it's true, huh? To my knowledge, there was no deer in the house. We were not blessed with a baby deer. But now we have two small children and it's almost Christmas time and good grief, these stupid people who make the mistake. And this is how the human reaction goes. We get angry and it's someone else's fault and we unleash all of this stuff. It comes out of us. Someone messed up my life and they should fix it and they should do it now and I should be compensated. And and you know how it goes? Little things, really. What is the problem? So they're late, a week or two. Is it a big thing in the picture of life? Like last night, little things when we were driving to the church for handbell practice, which everyone was so excited about. (laughs) It really was nice, you guys. See? (laughs) We're driving to the church and Elisa, the little deer... says when we get off the freeway, Mom, why do you get off on this street? This is the way I always come to the church, Elisa. But Dad gets off on the next street. Well, so that's what Dad does. This is what I do. But why don't you just do it the same way? Well, obviously, because my way is right and his way is not. (laughs) Or, as he would say, his way is... We all, we end up at the church the same. It's just a different way. And you know from your own homes and your own relationships, that this is how warring hearts start. Why can't you just do it my way? Why are you driving that direction? This is the road we usually take. Why are you going so slow? And out from us comes this human chain reaction of garbage. It's a warring heart, and it happens with little things, and it happens with larger things. And it's a choice, moment by moment, incident by incident, how I'm going to respond. During the month of December, I've been taking in two books, both of which I can recommend to you. One by the Arbinger Institute, The Anatomy of Peace. The second one, 
If you are open to people from other traditions by a Tibetan nun who's very wise called Practicing Peace in Times of War. In particular, the two gentlemen who wrote The Anatomy of Peace. Interesting story. One Muslim, one Jew. Each of their fathers were killed in the warring Middle East. By who? The opposing side. And somehow these two men in their 30s and 40s found their way together into the States to found an institute called Mount Moriah where they bring troubled teens and troubled people and troubled businessmen and all sorts of those who are at war in their hearts to help them understand what it is to have a warring heart and how it is you can lay a warring heart down. And and what they teach at the core of their program is essentially this. A warring heart, which begins deep inside of us, really has at its core the idea that the other human is not really as valuable as I am. That we're not really the same. Whether it's little things like invitations and the stupid people who printed them and the smart people who wrote them. Little things like, why can't you drive the way I drive? to larger things like relational abuse, like addiction and depression, like warring countries at the core of even warring countries are human beings like you and I who really haven't figured out that the people on the other side are just as valuable as they are. So that we look, we begin to look at other people and we see objects and we see things out there. But what we, what we really don't see are other human beings with valid concerns, with real lives, with real families, with significant issues just like yours and mine. And that when we see people as objects, it's so very easy to objectify them to make everything their fault and for me to be, start to justify my own position, to feel a little superior, a little better, and then everyone out there is wrong and needs to change. And I react, react, react. So a step in letting down my warring heart is to begin to see other people as the human that God sees them as. It is at the core of being people of peace. And somehow Simeon seems to know this because in Simeon's prayer, if you'll go back to verse 34, look at what happens there. Verse 34 and 35, Simeon says, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. This is Simeon saying the thoughts, the innermost thoughts, those things you wrestle with, the ideas you're having, the convictions you're working on, the things hidden will be revealed by this Jesus. This liberator savior is going to expose what's on the inside. And maybe part of righteous aging is having what's on the inside exposed and worked on by Jesus. Simeon seems to know, and it's not comfortable, by the way, what's on the inside that needs to get worked out, that keeps us at war with one another. It isn't comfortable business to work through all of this. Simeon seems to know this. The Savior Liberator works from the inside out. And Simeon will not rest until everyone knows salvation has come for all people, everywhere, all the time. It is 
not just Simeon, but it is Luke, the gospel writer Luke's position as well. When we realize everyone else is as valuable in God's sight, something happens inside our warring heart. I came to join you in 2005, April. The first sermon series, some of you were here, you remember, was called First Things First. And the second sermon in that series was the week that Pope John Paul II died. Stories were being told. I had read that week this one story in particular, and I shared in church the young boy, not the Pope, but when the Pope John Paul II was a young boy, something that happened to him growing up in Poland, which was largely Catholic and was very hate-filled hate, hate towards Jews. 800,000 Catholics, 200,000 Jews in his home city. But his best friend was a little Jewish boy. And the story is told that one day the little Jewish boy came to find his good friend after the Catholic Mass was finished and wandered into the church with the little saints looking, scowling at him angrily as if the little Jewish boy didn't belong and should get out. And he came and made his way to his friend and told his friend, these people are scowling at me. And the, the would-be pope said, well, what's the matter? Don't they know we're all children of God? That would-be pope who grew up later to be a young bishop during Vatican II who called the church to confess its wrongdoings during the Holocaust, when, when the church was silent, when Christianity was silent, when everyone acted as if Jews really weren't whole and, and uh, worthwhile people in this world. This is the little boy who grew up to participate in that. And I said this story on that day, and I said, while salvation is always personal, it's never individual. Simeon announces salvation is for all people everywhere. And someone that day in this church, could be a visitor, don't know who, left the sanctuary and said, the teaching we heard today was heresy. And I understand that response. Because this is my church, too. I've grown up in this church, a church which I think has had a difficult time saying and announcing, like Simeon, salvation is for all people. So I understand how it grinds and how we have to work, but I believe one of the tasks we have through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lifetime is to understand, one, we stand in God's good favor all the time, no matter what. Number two, everyone else stands in God's good favor all the time as well. And we will be working on that forever and ever. And perhaps part of righteous aging is that we grow to understand and expect to experience that a little more. So that even a week like this, when we've lost not only a leader of our nation, our 38th president, who, by the way, when the pastor prayed at the Episcopal Church yesterday, began the prayer. It was almost Simeon's prayer. Now, Lord, deliver your servant in peace. But also one put to death yesterday. 
one for whom prayers were offered this past week, prayers that said, may the wrath of God be unleashed on this dictator. May this person know the fury of God. Could it be that righteous aging? Could it be laying down our warring hearts? Could it be a little more shalom peace inside of us means that when we see a dictator put to death in our world, a dictator who's killed millions of people, we are able to say with Simeon, no, but salvation is for every person. Could it be you'd find yourself inching a little bit more towards that if you're part of a peaceable kingdom for I believe when we are at peace when we are able to say all is really well it isn't a declaration that we look around and see things perfect it is rather a declaration that you are all right with God and I am all right with God and even though you can't see it in this created world This world and human beings are all right with God. What we wait for is the liberation, the full, complete liberation of everything, no matter how things turn out now. Righteous aging. You're dismissing us in peace. Our eyes have seen. We believe so we can now see is what Simeon says. We close this morning. I share a story with you. Last week, I was asked to share the story, and we were running out of time, and I didn't know how to do this. Russell and Sharp, one of our church members who usually sits in the back, and the children, daughter Misty and Melissa, and husbands and grandchildren are here today. Russell is not. Russell and the night we were here Friday night in a Christmas concert two weeks ago, phone call came for me to call, and 10.30, I called her home. She's been, for three months, struggling with a sinus infection, she was told. But on that Friday, two weeks ago, she was told it was cancer, not a sinus infection. So Sabbath morning, the whole family gathered in Pastor Isaac's office. And a couple of the physicians from our congregation came and looked at test results and said, oh, this needs to be looked at. And by Saturday night, when our concert was over and you were probably all out Christmas shopping, Russellin was in the medical center having a biopsy taken of a tumor that's filling her sinus cavity. And she was told to prepare for several days, it could be, before we'll know what we're dealing with here. But the medical providers knew that what was growing in there was not going to be operable. Sunday came, Monday came, I believe it was Tuesday morning when I was with Russell at the medical center, she said to me, and this only makes sense to the people who experience the presence of God. She said to me, it's all right. I just want you to know, it's all right. I am at peace. Whatever it is. God was here last night. And it's going to be all right. That doesn't mean healing, by the way. Total healing on this earth. That means a soul that is able to say, All is well between me and God. The results came back, and you have to understand this story in context because it doesn't usually happen this way. The results came back, and I I hear the family saying, guess what, guess what, it's lymphoma. 
which simply means it's treatable. We can go after that one. That one we can take with radiation and chemotherapy. We can attempt to get it. If it wasn't something like that, we would be saying goodbye to this lady very soon. You see, being in a peaceable kingdom, laying down our warring hearts and all of these various levels mean we realize we're standing in the good favor of God. No matter what is happening around us, we can all say, all is well. Ah, dismiss us in peace for our eyes are seeing right now the glory of your salvation, the light for the Gentiles, the glory the children of Israel. We call this the gospel, the good news. Amen. Look to your inserts and sing with us.
need to do it again. We just do it with your voices only. Tom, would you lead us just in the chorus? Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit Dismiss us, God, in that sweet peace, that peace which comes only from you. We dismiss now in full confidence because our eyes have seen, we have tasted, we have experienced your salvation. The light unto the people of Israel, the light unto the Gentiles. And we can say it is well, all is well. In the name of Jesus, amen.